could do a little survey in, a, in this building this morning, and I bet you I could ask the question, how many of you have ever had somebody present to you what they called a lifetime opportunity? And, and probably all of us have, have had that at one time. Maybe it was an investment. Maybe it was a <clears throat> chance to buy some real estate or a chance to invi- you know, invest in stocks. <clears throat> Maybe it was a once-in-a-lifetime trip. Maybe it was an opportunity to go somewhere, to do something, to meet somebody that you feel will never, ever, ever come your way again. Well, I believe everybody in this room right now, whether you believe it or not or even thought about it or not, you are experiencing a lifetime opportunity. You say, really? You mean right here in this building, right now, you are experiencing a lifetime opportunity. You say, what is it? Life. Have you ever thought about the fact that every day is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity? What is the date? Somebody tell me. Let's see. What's the date? What is the date? February the 20th. All right. Somebody said Sunday. That's the date. Date, February the 20th, right? February the 20th. Think about this. February the 20th, 2011 will never come your way again. It can't be yesterday. It's not able to be tomorrow. It's just today. And when the clock strikes midnight, this day will never come your way again. So even today is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Your time on earth is a lifetime opportunity because every one of us are given in this lifetime opportunities to find God's will and to do God's work. Every one of us are given an equal opportunity to make a difference in the lives of other people. As a matter of fact, from God's perspective, life is an equal opportunity adventure. We all have the same opportunity. We all get the same chance to be productive. We all get the same chance to maximize the gifts that God has given us. We all get the same chance to leave a footprint on this earth after we're gone. Now, if you're a guest of ours today, let me kind of do a quick catch up. We're in a series called Tasty. And I have really enjoyed the series. I've got to admit it really has exceeded my expectations. We have sold more copies of these messages than anything we've done since we started this church. And evidently, it has really struck a chord in a lot of people. So you, if you're a guest of ours, you're saying, wow, well, what's this all about? Well, it's based on a, a couple of verses in a book called Galatians. I'm going to throw the verses up on the screen where Paul talks about what's called the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And I like the word patience. I'm going to stick that in there. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All right, take that off the screen. Now let's say that together. The fruit of the Spirit is love, goodness, gentleness, Self-control. All right. Very good. Very good. So what, what, we, what we've learned is that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, and, and for those of you who, are, who have no clue about Christianity, let me just kind of back up a little bit. What I mean by giving your life to Jesus Christ is when you recognize that he died for your sins as the son of God, he was buried, he was raised from the dead, that he really wants to come into your life and forgive you of your sins and make you a new person. So you literally surrender your life. You give your life to him. You trust him as your Lord and Savior. When that happens, he comes to live in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then in turn wants to bear through you certain fruit. 
They're, they're character qualities that God wants us to exhibit in our daily lives as we interact with other people. So on a daily basis, where you work, where you live, where you play, with the people over you, the people under you, with the people you're married to, the people you live with, the people you play golf with, the people you associate with, the people in your neighborhood, God says 24-7, I want you to be a person of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I believe, as I've told you, I know why God compares these qualities to fruit. Because fruit has, has two qualities that make it a special type of food. You know, the truth of the matter is we joke about it, but it really is true. Most of the best tasting food is not good for you. And I don't know why God engineered the world that way. Maybe that's just the result of sin. I don't know. But, but you know, honestly, most excellent food, I mean, the food that really, the most expensive food, the most tasty food is just really not good for you. Fruit's different. Fruit is not only good to you, it not only tastes good, it's good for you. It not only is good to the tongue, it is good for the body. And, and I think what God is saying is, God wants your life and my life to be just like fruit. He wants it to be so tasty. He wants our lives to be so attractive that other people will be drawn to us. And when they taste the life that we live, it will be both good to them and it will be good for them. And I really believe that if you live a life on a daily basis where you're bearing the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, let me tell you what I believe will happen. I really do believe this. Once you really begin, and a lot of you have never really thought about this, you've never really experienced, but once you begin every morning, by being, and I, as I started out my morning saying, one of the, one of the, I, I've got several things I pray about about my own life every day. And one of the things I have prayed for for years is, Lord, today, bear through me the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the things you will find, once you really start taking this seriously, people will start saying two things about you. Number one, I want to get to know you. I mean, who wouldn't want to get to know a person full of love, joy? I mean, how many of you enjoy getting to know a crank? No. They'll say, man, I want to get to know you. Here's the second thing they'll say. I want to be like you. I want to get to know you, and I want to be like you. Now, today, we're dealing with a fruit that, frankly, you don't find much anymore. And when you do, it probably tastes as good, if not better, than some of the other fruit because you just don't find it. You just don't see it much anymore, and it's called faithfulness. Now, I want to say something that all of us know today, but I want to kind of get it out there. If you are a boss or a supervisor, you have anybody under you at all, uh, if, if you run a company, if um, you uh, deal with volunteers, if you have anybody who answers to you in any shape, form, or fashion, if there's anybody that you have to count on in order for your job to get done and to get done right, then you know how hard it is to find people who are really faithful. Faithful to show up on time. Faithful to do their job right. Faithful to give a good day's work for a good day's wage. Faithful to stay until the job is done. Faithful to do what they do and to do it with a good attitude. It's hard. As a matter of fact, the wisest man who ever lived asked a great question in Proverbs chapter 20. Solomon said this, many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. Solomon said, you know, people who talk the talk, they're a dime a dozen. Easy to find. 
Oh, yeah, hire me. I'll do a good job. Hire me. I'll be a good employee. Hire me. I'll show up time. Hire me. I'll never complain. Hire me. I'll give you more than you even expect. People who talk to talk, dime a dozen. But Solomon said when you really get down to the nitty-gritty of walking the walk, hard to find a truly faithful person. Faithful people are hard to come by, and yet when it comes right, right, right down to it, have you ever considered how dependent we all are on people just being faithful? A government is dependent on its citizens to obey the law. If you don't think that's true, go to the Middle East right now. Go to Egypt right now. Go to Qatar right now. Go to Bahrain right now. If you don't think, that's, if you don't think government's dependent on the people obeying the law, an army is dependent on its soldiers being faithful to carry out their duty. A church is totally dependent on you, the people, to be faithful to serve and to give. If you don't serve and you don't give, I'm out of a job. We don't have a church. So my very existence, the church's very existence is completely, totally, unequivocally dependent on you being faithful. And every day, our eternal destiny depends on God being faithful to his word. Because you think about this. What if God got up one morning and said one thing about our salvation? I changed my mind. We're out of luck. We're just out of luck. So even my hope of going to heaven is dependent on the faithfulness of God. The Bible says in Lamentations 3 verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your what? Faithfulness. God says, I'll tell you why I want you to be faithful. I'm faithful. And if I'm faithful to you, I want you to be faithful to me. Now, if you brought a copy of God's Word this morning, very easy. Okay, we're going to make this super easy. I'm in a good mood today. All right, uh, we're going to be studying the Gospel of Matthew. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 25. Get ready because we're about to study Habakkuk. All right, so turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable. By the way, if you don't know much about the Bible, that's the first of the four Gospels. So after the Old Testament, first book, Matthew, Matthew 25. Jesus tells a parable that illustrates the importance of faithfulness. And in this parable, he teaches one of life's greatest lessons. This one I want you to take out the door with you this morning. I want to tell you what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is living up to five words in every situation. You can count on me. That's what faithfulness is. In every situation, it's living up to five words. You can count on me. Now, the question is, how can I bear the fruit of faithfulness in my life? How can I become a faithful person? How can I live my life in such a way that I'm one of those rare faithful men that Solomon talked about that it's so hard to find? Well, Jesus in this parable tells us exactly how to do it. You may want to write these down, fill in the blanks in your PowerPoint sheet. Number one, first thing we need to do, take stock of my God-given ability. That's the first thing you need to do. Take stock of your God-given ability. Now, we pick up in Matthew 25, verse 14. Jesus said again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, here's the first thing I want you to notice. Every person in this parable had been given talents. 
One man had been given five talents, and, and one man had been given two, and one man had been, been given one. But here's what I want you to see. Everybody had been given at least one. Not everyone had been given equal gifts, but everyone had been given gifts equally. I'm going to say that again. Not everyone had been given equal gifts, five, two, and one, but all had been given gifts equally, and both of those facts are very important. Let me tell you why. On the one hand, what makes whatever abilities you have just as important as whatever abilities I have Whatever makes your gifts just as important as whatever gift someone else has, even though they may not be equal, may they, they may not be the same, here's, the, here's what I want you to understand. Your abilities have been given to you by God, and my abilities have been given to me by God. Your talents have been given to you by God. My talents have been given to me by God. Yet, some people have got more abilities than you have. I've got news for you. Even the most arrogant person in this room, you're not as talented as you think you are. I know some of you have a sign on your, on your bedroom mirror that says it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. I get that. Trust me, you're not. And yes, there are people who have more abilities than you do. And yes, there are people who have more talents than you do. But everybody's abilities are equally important in the eyes of God for one simple reason. They're all God-given. They all come from God. So whatever ability you have, it, it doesn't matter. And, and, and by the way, even though everyone in the parable had been given talents, you do notice they had not all been given the same talents. Because even though this particular talent refers to money, it obviously represent, represents abilities. Because listen again to verse 15, look at it. He says he's given to each according to his ability. Now understand what a talent is. I want you to write this down. This is what a talent is. A talent is an opportunity to use your God-given ability for God's glory. That's what a talent is. Whatever that talent is, a talent is an opportunity to use your God-given ability for God's glory. Now, as you're going to see in just a moment, the number of talents given to each individual is really irrelevant. Because what you're going to see is that the master in the parable expected just as much from the one-talent person as he did the five-talent person. And he expected no more from the five-talent person than he did from the one-talent person. So here's what I want to ask all of you to do this morning. I want you to do a little individual survey. I want you to take a moment right now and take stock of the abilities that God has given you. For example, some of you have the ability to cook, both men and women. You have the ability to cook. Um, some of you have the ability to sing. Now, trust me on this. Some of you don't, but some of you have the ability to sing. Some of you have the ability to sew. Some of you have the ability to play sports. Some of you have the ability to play a musical instrument. Now, let me just be honest. I'm not going to call names. I know some people in our church who play golf that ought to take up the trumpet, okay? I'm, not, I'm just not going to go there, but I'm just saying some people have the ability to play sports. Some people have the ability to, to play a musical instrument. Some people have the ability to, to relate to children. Some people have the ability to connect with teenagers. Some people have the ability just to wave a hand, give a friendly smile, and they just know how to instantly relate to people. Here's the point I want you to understand. It is not... It is not how much you have that matters to God. That's not what's relevant to God. It is what you do with what you have that matters to God. So we get hung up on, and this is why we get jealous of other people. And that's why we get envious. Well, I wish I could sing like she does. I wish I could play golf like he does. I wish I could cook like she does. I wish I was outgoing like that person is. Listen, 
That doesn't matter a whit to God. God, that's irrelevant. What matters to God is not how much you have. What matters to God is what do you do with what he has given you? We don't all have equal abilities, but we do have equal opportunities to use the abilities that we have to honor God and to bless others. Now, here's the key. Your opportunity will never exceed your ability, but your ability will always be equal to your opportunity. And what this parable is going to teach us is, even though we've all been different, different abilities, and we've all been, we, you know, in different gifts. For example, there's some of you, I could ask some of you right now, I mean, just impromptu, I want you to come up here right now and give a testimony, and you'd wet yourself right now in your seat. <laughs> Am I right or wrong? You don't have that gift. You, you just don't, it's not that you don't love the Lord, but you don't have the gift to get up here and preach. I mean, I have people say to me all the time, don't you get nervous? Don't, aren't you just scared? I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even talk if I got up there in front of all those people. It's a gift to, into a certain extent. I think it's a gift you can, you know, develop and learn. But, I, but there's, you know, I've just always been gifted that way. We don't all have the same gift. You know, I'm, I, I can't cook. I'm not a very good cook. I'm, I'm certainly not a carpenter. I can't fix things. If I'd been Noah, everybody would have gone under, okay? I, 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 you know, I, that's just not my gift. So, so we don't all have the same gift. But what this prayer is going to teach us is, even though we've been given different abilities, We've all been given the same opportunity to take the opportunity to use that ability for the good of the God that gave it to us and the good of others who need it. What is inexcusable is not using your gifts at all. God says that is inexcusable. I heard about a man who came home from work one night and, and his wife was standing at the door. Her arms were crossed. She was mad as a hornet. She, he said, what, what's wrong? She said, do you know what day this is? He said, well, of course I do. It's our 25th wedding anniversary. She said, did you mind me a present? He said, yes, I did. She said, what is it? He said, well, it's something that took a lot of thought, something that's quite useful, something I think you'll like. She said, what could it be? He said, I bought you a burial plot in Highland Memorial Park. He said, the cemetery is beautiful. The bronze markers are placed even with the surface of the earth. They always keep it perfectly manicured. And I feel like you deserve the best burial plot that money can buy. Well, she had to at least agree that he at least remembered the anniversary. And it was a pretty creative gift. One year later, they're sitting at the breakfast table having a cup of coffee. She said, you know what today is? He said, sure. This is our 26th wedding anniversary. She said, did you buy me a gift? He said, buy you a gift? You didn't use the one I gave you last year. Now... I like it when people get it in waves. You know what I'm saying? It just kind of rolls back. Now, now listen, Here, here's the question I want to ask you. I want you to stop and ask yourself a question right now. And I really mean it. I want you to put, I want you to put your, your, your mind in neutral. I want you to ask yourself a question. What God-given abilities do you have? And don't give me this false humility. Well, I don't have any gifts. Sure you do. You at least have the gift of false humility. So don't sit there and give me that. No, what God-given abilities do you have? Now, here's the next question I want you to ask. And be honest. How are you using those abilities for the glory of God and the good of others? And now can I get even more specific? How are you serving this church with the abilities that you have? Because let's be honest. 
And I knew it'd be so quiet right now you could hear grass growing. Many of you walk into this church, you sing, you open your Bible, you hear me preach, and you walk out, and we don't see you again for a week. You don't think about serving in this church. You don't think about serving outside this church. But you've got gifts that God has given you, and you've got gifts that God expects you to use in the service of the church. You may say, well, well, well I don't know how. I don't know where I could use my gifts. Let me, I want you to listen. I'm going to share more about this in a minute. But we have finally awakened, and we have finally put a person in charge of doing nothing but trying to get our people faithful. And that's going to be my goal for every one of you. I want every one of you. It doesn't have to be on Sunday morning. It doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be within this building. But we're, we're determined we're going to find, we're going to get a, give everybody that's willing an opportunity to be faithful with the giftedness that they've been given. All right, here's the second thing I want you to write down. Second thing you need to do is you need to take advantage of your God-given opportunity. You take stock of your God-given ability. Now take advantage of your God-given opportunity. Now, in order to understand the parable, you've got to understand the symbolism. Always remember this. A parable is an, is, is, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what it is. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And every parable, you've got to identify who do the players in the parable represent, all right? It's very obvious. Who do you think the master in the story represents? Somebody tell me. Who do you think it represents? God or Jesus, right, represents Jesus, all right? Now, the servants in the story, who do you think they represent? Yeah, they represent us. They represent followers of Jesus Christ. So the, the master, that's Jesus. He's the master. We are the servants in the story. So the truth of the parable is, is very evident. The Lord has given every one of his servants gifts and abilities, and he expects you to leverage those abilities in such a way that he is honored and others are blessed. Let me put it to you this way. You take one ability that you know that you have. I don't know what that ability is. Maybe it's the ability to lead. Maybe it's the ability to plan a project. Maybe it's the uh, ability to cook. Maybe it's the ability to, to work with kids. I don't know what your ability is. But you just take one ability that you have. And I want you to understand this. Every ability comes with the expectation that that ability will be used whenever the opportunity presents itself. Every opportunity carries with it a responsibility to use that ability in such a way that God is glorified and others are blessed. Now, there's a reason why in the parable Jesus happens to use the example of money. There's a reason for that. Because money is a very good picture of the way you use your talents. Let me tell you this. It is very rare to find someone who is not using their gifts and their talents in the service of the church, who at the same time are really overly faithful in giving to the church. Usually those two don't go together. Usually if a person is faithful in one area, he is faithful in another. And, 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 and the reason why that Jesus uses the example, matter of fact, the Greek word talenton, that's the word we get the word talent from it, talenton, it gives us the word for talented or talents. And Jesus said, your abilities, just like money, are to be invested. So the story continues. We keep reading. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, two things stand out immediately. On the one hand, every servant had an equal opportunity to leverage his money, to invest his money, to get a return on his money. 
Now, here's the other thing I want you to notice. This is really kind of something that kind of jumps out at you when you read the parable and read it closely. There are only two kinds of servants described in the parable, only two, faithful, unfaithful. Or to put it more bluntly, faithful and foolish. Now, I, I want you to think about how you're serving God right now. I mean, this minute, how, how, I want you to think about how you're serving God in this church. How you're serving God where you work. How you're serving God in just your everyday life. And now I want you to ask yourself a hard, difficult, tough question. Would you say you're being a faithful servant? Or would you say you're being a foolish servant? Would you say that you are being effective in levering Leveraging the gifts and the talents and the skills and the abilities that God has given you for his glory and others' good? Or would you say, no, you've kind of buried it in the sand? Because here's the truth of the matter. You are either doing something for God or you're doing nothing from God. And I want you to notice, God expected not the same results from every servant, but he did expect the same effort. And this is something that that, that I, I really need you to hear. God never compares you with anyone else. God compares you with you. When you stand before God, and I stand before God someday, let me, let me tell you this. <clears throat> God's not gonna, I'm not going to stand before God, and God's not going to say, well, James, here's what you did, but look at what Adrian Rogers did. James, here's what you did, but, but look at what Charles Stanley did or what Andy Stanley did or, 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 or what <coughs> Bill Hybels did or what Rick Warren did. Look at what they did. That's not how God's going to judge me. What God is going to look at me and say is, James, here's what you did, but here's what you could have done. He's not going to compare me with them. He's going to compare with me, me with me. He's not going to compare you with anybody else. He's going to compare you with you. And all God expected of these servants is, I want you to do what you can. Don't worry about what he's doing. Don't worry about what she's doing. I want you to do what you can. I want you to serve where you are. Because God measures your success by how much you do compared to what you could do. How much you are compared to what you could be. One of my heroes, as you know, I've told you many times, is John Wooden. He just recently passed away. John Wooden, in my mind, is, is no question about it, the greatest college basketball, I think the greatest basketball coach who ever lived. He won more national championships than any basketball coach in history. Can you imagine winning? Listen to this. You, you, if you keep up with basketball, he won 11 national championships in 13 years. That will never happen again in any sport. And, and he was a wonderful, wonderful Christian. Well, in Coach Wooden's senior year in high school, his high school team lost the state championship by one point. Coach Wooden tells the story that everybody walked into the locker room. Everybody was bawling their eyes at everybody. All the players were crying. The assistant coaches were crying. The coaches were crying. The cheerleaders were crying. Some of the parents were crying. And Coach Wooden said, I was the only guy in the whole room who wasn't shedding a tear. He said, everybody got upset with me. And they said, John. Don't you care that we lost? He said, sure, I care that we lost. And one of them looked at them and they said, why aren't you crying like the rest of us? And here's what he said, because I know 
that I played the best that I could. I know that I gave my best effort. When Coach Wooden got home that night, his father was waiting on him at the door. He put his arm around him and he said, Johnny, he said, I am disappointed that, your t- that our team lost. But he said, I am so proud, not of the way you played. I am so proud of the way you conducted yourself after the game was over. And then Coach Wooden said, he told him a poem that Coach Wooden said he instantly put to memory and he never forgot it. Here was the poem. You're going to be better than some, and some are going to be better than you. But you should never accept the fact that you didn't make the effort to do the best that you can do. Now, that's faithfulness. Some are going to be better than, you know, you're you're going to be better than some, and some are going to be better than you. But you should never accept the fact that you didn't make the effort to do the best that you can do. God's not going to compare you with what somebody else did. He's going to compare you with what you could have done. I've got a book in my library that a pastor dedicated to his people. And what he wrote so touched and inspired me, I want to share it with you right now. This is what he wrote. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. I dedicate this book with indescribable gratitude to the faithful church member, quote, unquote, that wonderful person whose praises go so largely unsung, but without whose regular attendance, constant dependability, faithful intercession, lasting affection, and unstinted generosity in the giving of time, money, and strength, the work of the pastor would not be possible. And I'm going to do this in a moment when we get to the end of this message. I'm going to recognize some people and, and, and that deserve to be recognized, but I want to tell every one of you here, I don't care if you park a car, I don't care if you wave at people as they come up the hill, I don't care if you hand out an order of worship, I don't care if you change dirty diapers, I don't care if you work with teenagers, I don't care what you do, and I don't care what you do outside, that. I don't care if you work in the food pantry or the clothes closet, I want to tell you, I want to tell you enough, I want to tell you how grateful I am for you, and I want to tell you how thankful I am for you. And I want to tell you with that, and I, I, I say this with all sincerity, when, when, when the Lord starts giving out rewards, I fully expect to be really close to the back of the line. Because I'm going to tell you something, the greatest people in this church that help keep this church going is not so much the guy stands up here, it's the people sitting out there. Just being faithful, showing up on time, doing what you're asked to do with a smile, going the second mile putting your tithe in that, in that basket so this church can continue to function and reach people for Christ. You are the real heroes. You are the ones who are faithful. Let me tell you something. I don't know. I, I won't be general. I could be more specific. I don't know of many problems that could not be solved in any area of life if we just step up and say to the God that made us and the people that may be involved in what, with us, you can count on me to be faithful. Let me tell you something. This is going to sound so simplistic, but I'm telling you it's true, and you cannot contradict it. A marriage can make it if you will just stay faithful to your vows and faithful to love each other the way God commands you. A church can withstand any outside attack from the world or the devil if we'll just be faithful to love each other, pray for each other, and work with each other. And we could do everything we ever need to do financially in this church, through this church, and for this world if we would all just be faithful to give God his tithe. It just comes down to being faithful. Last thing. Take note of our God-given accountability. Take note of our God-given accountability. Now, 
The way this story unfolds, every time I read it, you know what it does? It makes me laugh and cry at the same time. It really does. Listen to this. Keep reading. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrust me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrust me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, once again, the point is driven home. The key to the story is not what gifts you were given or how many gifts you got, but what did you do with the gifts that you had? That's what really counts. That's why both the five-talent person and the two-talent person received proportionally the same reward. Because God wasn't concerned who started out with the most talents. That's not what impressed God. All that mattered to God was, you know what? You did with your talents what you could, and you did with your talents what you could. Yet what's really strange is this. The emphasis of the parable, and this is why Jesus was such a great storyteller. The emphasis of the parable is not on the servants that were faithful. The emphasis in the parable is on the servant that was not. Because notice how he responds. Keep reading. Verse 24, then the man who had received one bag of gold came, Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. In other words, what he was saying in a nice way was, I know you're just a crooked bum. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now, here's a guy that gets a bag of gold, okay? And he, the master tells him, just, you know, take it and just, you know, go, go leverage it and go do something with it. That, that's, all, that's the only job that you've got to do. And what does this person do? Think about it. He buries his talent. Didn't even put it in the bank. Didn't even try to draw any interest. No, he could have. If you know this or not, I just found out this the other day studying for this sermon. The ancient Roman Empire had a banking system that was in many many respects like our banks today. And this, I mean, this is great. This is great news. It makes me want to go back 3,000 years, 2,000 years. The interest earned on an average Roman bank account was 6%. Happy days are here again. 6%. Are you kidding me? You know what the rule of 72 is? That means your money doubles every 12 years. Well, this person could have just at least gone to a Roman bank. I mean, how much effort does it take? You go to the bank, knock on the door, got a bag of gold, come back for it when I'm ready, thank you very much, and he makes 6% on his money. But the man does nothing. And boy, you're sitting out there and you're saying, wow, what a foolish person. And yet I stand up here, and you know what I'm looking at right now all over this church? Buried talent, buried gifts. You've got these gifts and you've got these skills and you've got these abilities to build and to mold and to relate and to teach and to sing and to work. And you've taken a shovel and buried them under the dirt of busyness and the dirt of laziness and the dirt of lukewarmness and the dirt of apathy. Just buried them. And I know I've heard them all. I'm too busy. Got too many outside interests. I'm more involved in other things. 
And Jesus closes with a truth he drives home with a sledgehammer. You ready? He says, there is no excuse not to use what you have been given. Now we keep reading. His master replied, verse 25, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well then. In other words, what he's saying was, okay, let's say what you're saying is true. At least I got a return on what I had. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. I want you to listen to what this slave does. He tries to pass the blame off on his master. In other words, he gives an excuse. Because notice what the master said. If you thought I would demand a return on what does not belong to me, don't you think I would require a return on what does belong to me? And here's the thing I want you to see. Now watch this. The only one of these servants who gave an excuse was the person who did nothing. Now, I want to tell you something. And I'm saying this both to you and I'm saying this to our staff that are in here. Nothing irritates me more than when I look at people who show no results, who get nothing done, who don't really produce in their job, but then they blame everybody else. They make excuses. The only people I know who make excuses in life are the people who have nothing to show for their life, but they love to point out why everybody else is the reason. And that's one one thing that's very wrong with America. Now we're in a victim society. It's always somebody else's fault. Somebody else is always to blame. And it's very interesting that when Jesus asked the two faithful servants what they did with their talents, they just said, well, we took the talents you gave us and made more talents beside. Now, listen to this. That's all they said. We said, well, what did you do? He said, well, we just took your talents and we just leveraged your talents. The unfaithful servant, listen to this. He took 42 words to say, I did nothing. 42 words. Let me tell you something I've learned. I want you to remember it. I've learned this with staff. The less people do, the more people talk. The less people do, the more people talk. So I want you to notice something in verses 21 and 23. The master says to both of these servants, look what he says. He says, you have been faithful with a few things. Now, what's wrong with a lot of us, can I just be honest? We've got too many people both in the church and in culture and in society, and they think they're too good for the small things. You know, I, I, I've worked with people. I'm talking, I, mean, I mean, I've worked with big picture people. They have all these big grandiose plans they're going to do, and, 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 and then when you examine them after a while, they haven't even done the little things. They've got all these big things they want to do. They haven't even done the little things. Longfellow once said, most people would succeed in small things if they weren't troubled with great ambition. I heard about a man who was talking to a big, tall, husky football player. He looked at him and he said, you know what I'd do if I were you? And he said, what? He said, I'll tell you, if I was as big and tall and strong as you, I'd go out in the woods, I'd find the biggest bear I could find, and I'd wrestle him right down to the ground. That's what I'd do. Big old football player looked at him and he said, there are a lot of little bears in the woods. (laughs) So we all want to do the big things. And Jesus said, you know what I'm looking for? Can you be faithful in the little things? And I want to say it again. I thank God for the people in this church who are faithful in the small things. Oh, they're not really small. 
They're faithful to show up on time in their classroom. They're faithful to show up and help park cars. They're faithful to show up with a friendly smile as they hand out uh, orders of worship. They're faithful to be there when the parents bring their kids to the preschool area and the children's area. They're faithful to come here on Wednesday night when you don't even know they're here and Thursday night and rehearse so they can play and sing their best on, on Sunday morning. I am grateful for these people. So I want to bring all of this to a close with this last question. This is the hard question. We're going to wrap this up. And it's hard for me to ask it too, so I'm, I'm, I'm in the boat with you. Would you say that Jesus made a good investment in you when he saved you? Would you say that Jesus made a good investment in you when he saved you? How, how would you feel if you went to a bank tomorrow morning and you gave them $1,000? And, and you, you invested it with the bank and you put it in a savings account. How would you feel if at the end of that 10 years you went back to collect your money and you only got back $1,000? And what if that banker told you he didn't even put your money in an interest-bearing CD? He just put it in some shoebox and, and buried it behind the bank. You would be absolutely livid. Matter of fact, you'd want to sue him. Well, how do you think God feels when he gives you these gifts and he gives you these talents and he gives you these abilities straight from his hand and you fail to invest them and use them for his glory. So let me tell you what I, I want to ask you to do. I want you to, everybody tear out this little card, this little registration. Everybody just tear it off right now, the order of service. And I want you to do this as I wrap up, wrap this message up. I want to add something to the back of this card too. It just hit me. So I want to add something to it. You see on the back of it down at the, the, the not the registration part, but on behind it, serve and share survey. I want you to fill out that little survey. Now, let me tell you what you can do. You, you can keep this anonymous if you want to, but here's what I'd really like for you to do. If, 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 if you take this and you go, mm, not looking good, not looking good, not, mm, mm, ooh, oh, mm, not looking good. I want you to sign your name, give us contact information, and here's what I want you to write. I want you to write down three or four areas of service or ministry you'd be willing to either do or train to do. You know, I'd be willing, it may be occasionally, I'd be willing occasionally to work with preschoolers or children. I would be willing occasionally to work in the food pantry. I would be willing occasionally to just stand outside and help greet. We need more greeters to just stand outside and greet people. I, I would be willing to help sometime host a, a youth function in my house. I, I would be willing. I'd like to get involved in a, in a prison ministry. Or I'd like to start just anything. I want you just to fill, while I'm talking right now, just go ahead and fill out that survey. Now, whether you sign it or not, I'll tell you what to do with the card in a minute. But I want you to fill that out. And just be honest. And, and, and you don't have to sign it. If you don't want to sign it, that's fine. But I, we'd like to kind of get a little idea. So if you don't sign it, it doesn't hurt to fill it out, right? So, you know, you can fill this out. Now, if you're a guest, you know, it, it, you, know you don't need to do this necessarily. But, but, but as you're doing that, if you serve anywhere in this church any time of the week, anywhere, any time of the week, you serve on Sunday morning or maybe you come back and help us with our teenagers on Sunday night or you're teaching a class on Wednesday night or you're out there parking cars or you serve in our food pantry or, or, you know, anything like that, would you just raise your hand? Just hold your hand up real high. Would the rest of you let them know how much you love them and appreciate what they do for our church? And I want you to know how much I love and appreciate you. And, and, and while you're filling that card out as, as, as we wrap this up, there's an amazing book 
that I'd encourage you to buy and read if you like to read history. It's called The Fall of Fortresses. And it tells the remarkable story of a B-17 flying fortress that flew a bombing mission over Germany toward the end of World War II. This particular bomber took what he knew were several direct hits from Nazi anti-aircraft guns. And he said a few of them actually hit the fuel tank. Well, the whole crew kind of cringed. They just knew that the flame was going to be, you know, just explode and go up in flames. But nothing happened. After the plane landed, they found 11 unexploded 20-millimeter shells carefully removed from the bomber's fuel tank, 20 of them. They couldn't figure it out. How could all 20 not explode? So they took them into their munitions factory. They, 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 they dismantled them. And to their amazement, all of these 20-millimeter shells, all 11 of them, had no explosive material inside them. They were all duds. Well, they couldn't understand it. They, why would the Germans fire empty shells? They couldn't figure it out. And the mystery was solved when a small note was found written in one of those shells. It was written in Czechoslovakian and translated. Here's what it read. I wish I could do more, but this is all I can do for you now. Here's the amazing story. A member of the Czech underground working in a Nazi ammunition factory had deliberately omitted the explosive in 11 of those shells on his assembly line. He had no idea if any of his efforts would prove effective, so he slipped a note into one of those shells hoping maybe somebody will benefit from what I've done and maybe one day they'll discover why they weren't killed. And that same person may very well have died wondering if that little work, it was a little thing, write a note, just don't put the explosive in there and just wrote just a note, just put it in there. He probably died wondering, did I make any difference? What little thing I'm doing, would it, is it going to do anything to slow down this Nazi war machine? He had no idea that he had saved the lives of an entire crew of a B-17 bomber. I, I've received a lot of compliments in my life. Frankly, the vast majority, I really don't deserve it. I'm being very frankful. But there is one compliment that wouldn't just make my life. It wouldn't just make my day. It would absolutely make my eternity. If I can just hear Jesus one time and one time only just say this to me, well done, good and faithful servant. My brothers and my sisters, we have been given beginning today a lifetime opportunity to say to the God that made us and the people that we know live, work, and play with, no matter what, you can count on me. Let's pray together. With his bowed and eyes closed, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that's exactly what he said. He said to a father that sent him and to a world that needed him, you can count on me. I know that apart from me, you cannot be saved. I know apart from me, your sins would not be forgiven. I know apart from me, you'd have no hope of going to heaven. But I'm faithful. And I'm true. And I'm going to ask you today to do something. Some of you have been faithful in the wrong direction. You've been faithful to say no every time you get a chance to give your life to Christ. You say no. Today I'm going to ask you to say yes. 
If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you right now to pray a simple prayer. I'm going to pray it out loud, and I want you to pray it in your heart. I mean, right where you're sitting right now, if you've never, ever trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, never, I'm going to ask you right now to say this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I'm lost, and I need to be saved. You died for my sins. God raised you from the dead. You're alive right now. And Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save me. I ask you to forgive me. I confess you as my Lord, and I trust you as my Savior. And I give you my life.